Bolstered by an increasing awareness for climate change and biodiversity loss, recent years have seen investors increasingly looking to make profit without contributing to negative outcomes for the planet or society for that matter. Sustainable investing combines traditional investment approaches with environmental, social and governance, or ESG insights. It ensures firms aren't judged solely on short-term financial gains, but on a broader picture of what and how they contribute to society. However, recent studies have shown that sustainable investing underperforms standard index funds and that there is an anti-ESG movement emerging in the United States, but others insist it's a long-term game. I'm Jeremy Maggs. This is No Ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at what's driving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. Now, last week, over a thousand asset owners and investment managers gathered in Japan for the annual gathering of signatories of the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investment. The Association of Institutional Investors from across the globe collectively manages an estimated 121 trillion U.S. dollars. As a signatory of the PRI, Investec Wealth and Investment sent a team to the event, and we have them with us today to share the insights that they gathered in Tokyo. So Chief Investment Strategist Chris Holdsworth, along with investment analysts Boipelo Rabotata and Carl Lazaro, a very warm welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. Chris, let's start then with some background. What are the principles for responsible investment and what does it mean to be a signatory? Hi, Jeremy. You know, there, there are six principles that you subscribe to as a member of the PRI, and they involve incorporating ESG, environmental, social and governance type concerns, into one's investment process for equities, fixed income, for all of the asset classes. What it means to be a signatory is that, A, you have to commit to incorporating these types of concerns, but secondly, report on how you do it. And you need to provide regular feedback through to the UNPRI. They evaluate your submission and give a ranking on how effectively you are committing to the principles that one has signed up for. So the whole thing is predicated on sticking to the rules and making sure that there is solid and implementable commitment is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, along with collaboration, that is ensuring that any action is done in the best interest of A, one's clients, and and that's an important point, and I'm sure we'll touch on it shortly. It has to be in the interest of generating either better returns or, or lower risk. But B, ensuring that as one does that, it's done in a sustainable fashion, in a way that doesn't harm the planet. So, Chris, moving on from that, the conference's theme was moving from commitments to action to tackle a growing sense of crisis. So give us a quick overview then of the current sustainable investment landscape and how it's faring against a backdrop of what we all know is a volatile global economy. Thanks for that, Jeremy. The shorter answer is not very well. There are two issues. One, the industry is still very much at the early stage of development and and as a result, it's still finding its feet with regards to what is acceptable and and what is not. Do you invest on an exclusionary basis? Do you invest in the companies that are polluting the most and are turning around? As an example, that's some of the debate that, that was held. But the second point is, given where the industry currently lies and its reticence to invest in old school type industries, there's very much a growth focus in the companies that land up in sustainable type portfolios. And when interest rates go up, growth tends to do poorly. 
So what's happened over the past 18 months or so, as you've described, this volatile global environment, we've landed up with these new age companies, for example, renewable energy, actually materially underperforming some of the older energy type investments. And so it's a testing period, but the underlying thesis of an investment approach like this is through the cycle, you will either improve returns or reduce risk. So it, it's too early to say, but it has been a tough patch, probably 12 to 18 months, I'd say, for the industry more broadly. No doubt, Chris, a, a testing period, but you will agree that uh, we can all hear uh, a clock ticking for some sense of change here. That was very much the message at, at the conference. We had a range of scientists speaking to us, and, and they did note that there is a huge degree of uncertainty around their forecasts. But their base case is that the Paris Agreement won't be met. That is that the global temperatures will be one and a half degrees or more above the reference point, and that we won't get to net zero by 2050. But there is hope and a base case that we'll get there within a decade or so after that. It's going to be touch and go though. And the actions taken by the globe now will have material impact with regards to meeting those targets in the not too distant future. And there's absolutely no doubt that we're starting to see the impact of that even in South Africa. Boipilo, let's pick up from what Chris was saying. So the climate change crisis front and center in Japan. So what then can investors do to make society more sustainable at a time when many industries are struggling to meet the targets for combating climate change? It's a, it's a real conundrum, isn't it? Yeah, so it was raised that the private sector and the public sector kind of need to come together to help tackle climate issues, that you sort of need companies that have research and development budgets to create technologies that investors need to get behind and provide capital to. But that can sort of only be done at a large scale if the public sector comes to the party and provide the right policies. And this is what the, the chief sustainability officer of Nissan kind of alluded to. And for investors specifically, collaborative engagement was highlighted as a key tool that investors can use to create change. So the PRI in collaboration with other organizations such as Climate Action 100, CDP, which stands for Carbon Disclosure Project, provide platforms where investors can collaborate with companies to address specific issues. And biodiversity, if I understand, was another major topic of discussion, a concept called SPRING. It's a new PRI stewardship initiative for nature that was announced at the event. What does that entail? So there was a lot mentioned around what is known as the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, or TNFD for short, which is seen as important because it has quickly been realized that one can't solve for climate issues unless you are also ensuring that uh, you are protecting the world we live in. And so TNFD is setting a roadmap for investors on how to create a data set that enables acting and making investment decisions around nature. So this is similar to TCFD, which is a task force uh, on climate-related financial disclosures, which was established in 2015 and has been providing guidelines for companies to disclose financially related climate risks and opportunities. And Investec has published its TCFD report and it's on the Investec website if listeners are interested in seeing or reading what this kind of report entails.
All right, Kyle Lazaro, let's draw you into the conversation. Now, aside from diversity that Boipilo has already mentioned, what are some of the other key themes that emerged from the meeting? So some of the other key themes were a lot more related to what the industry is experiencing. So, for example, what uh, Chris touched on earlier, it was the consideration of financial returns in the sustainable space. So as much as there is a purpose-driven argument behind investing in a sustainable manner, we do need to realize that in order for this to have longevity, we do need to provide sufficient returns to our investors' capital. It's not a charity, it's just a risk mitigator or it's a way to direct investment in the right places in in the market. So that was a major theme that I thought spoke quite closely to, to us, part of the investment team. Another thing was what the transition towards ESG actually means. We met with a few different asset managers and found that some are quite far in their process, but there were a lot that were starting out in integrating ESG correctly into their process. And there again, it's you can't just suddenly a- attach a whole bunch of new investment criteria to investing into particular areas of the market. You have to work with clients and make sure that it's acceptable for clients because they're invested with you for a particular mandate. And if you go and change that mandate, they might not agree. That kind of consideration was quite prominent in in our discussions. Another thing that I found what was really interesting is the limited South African representation, particularly from the investment space. So I thought that was quite a notable thing. There was a lot of developed market representation as as to be expected. Well, that is uh, a point of some concern, I imagine. Um, to the three of you now, and Chris, to you, first of all, um, high-profile speakers on the bill uh, from the Japanese Prime Minister to senior representatives from the World Ratings Agency, from the World Bank, uh, academia. Um, anybody or any speech particularly, Chris, that uh, stood out for you? And uh, Kyle and uh, Boipilo, I'll put the same question to you in just a moment. Thanks, Jamie. My view, I think, is going to be a little different from Webs and Carl. For me, the most interesting speakers were were the ones that I met afterwards. Um, that is, the delegates to to the conference, uh, the people that you caught up with over tea and coffee in the breaks, and and had breakfast with before the conference. And it allowed for getting a fairly in depth view of the progress of the industry at the moment, along with what the plans are going forward. Um, and I came away somewhat reassured that there is definitely effort underway, but also with a sober analysis that there's there's a hang of a long way to go, and we're really just at at the start. Uh, in addition, catching up with some of the, the scientists and getting their views, which was super interesting as well. So I'll, instead of naming one person, I would say it was a collective, and for me, it, it was the delegates. And I'm assuming Chris said it was green tea, but you don't need to answer that question. Boipilo, what about you? I guess it is a little bit similar to Chris, but I would say it was the sense of urgency from the government of Japan. As I mentioned, you know, public sector has a role to play in it. And the message from both the prime minister of Japan and the governor of Tokyo was that Japan is taking action in sustainability issues through unlocking finances to tackle climate and nature-related issues. And they highlighted some key Japanese policy priorities. So, you know, seeing the public sector in that in that country take it that seriously was one of the things that stood out for me. And Carl? 
for me, it was the Prime Minister of Japan which stood out, and that was purely based on the magnitude at which he was mobilizing funds into the sustainable space. He committed to investing over $70 billion into sustainable startups focusing on impact investing, and he has instructed over $600 billion assets under management, which is managed by their pension funds, to become signatories of the PRI. And that was pretty significant for me because that sheer scale doesn't come easily and not many countries can commit that amount of money. So it's really uh, encouraging to see that um, he's put the action behind the sustainable space and the PRI, and it's not just purely a marketing uh, gimmick. To my three guests, uh, all of you just hold those thoughts uh, before we continue. Just a quick reminder to tune into Chris Holdsworth's Macro Monday podcast on Investec Focus Radio SA every Monday for his 10-minute wrap of the latest macroeconomic and market moves. So, Chris, let's get back to the conversation. It was clear at the meeting that there has been, and I did mention this in my introduction, that there's been some pushback against responsible investing. What's driving that negative sentiment? And does the investment community have a plan, a strategy, any thoughts on how to address this? Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. I think there are four sources, four primary sources for the backlash against ESG. The first is that it's increasingly viewed as another avenue for government intervention in financial markets. The second is there are some scenarios under which you land up with less competition across asset managers, and that could be problematic. The third is what's known as greenwashing, where companies commit to investing in an environmentally sound manner. But what happens is they don't shift their portfolio in any given way. They just change their reporting and make it look better. And that's a problem for the industry more broadly. And the fourth concern has been the recent period of poor performance of new age ESG type companies relative to the broader basket. So the question then is, what is the investment community doing around these? The first thing is a step like this, the PRI, for example, is a form of self-regulation. And do something like this to prevent and cut off the idea that you'll end up with formal government regulation in what you can and cannot invest. This is the private sector, in effect, regulating itself. And that's done in such a way as to, A, ensure that we still have sufficient freedom to choose what to invest in, but B, get away from the greenwashing type issue. It will be done through the financial industry itself, I suspect. With regards to low performance, we have to recognize that, that there's a cycle. Um, and ESG type investing is going to sit within the broader framework of investing. And increasingly, it's going to count for a larger and larger portion of total AUM, but it will not outperform under all cycles. There will be periods where you land up with low quality or junk rally where some ESG type investments will underperform. And I don't think that that is a long-term threat. It's not a structural threat. That that one is more cyclical. It's the first ones you mentioned, which are more long-term in nature. And I think those are the ones which are getting the most attention at this point. So, Carl, at the, at the beginning of this conversation, Chris was talking about uh, the importance of collaboration. We've seen climate change policies affect elections in some developing markets, government, private sector, at odds with each other. But one senses that in order to tackle these ESG issues, there's got to be this collaborative effort. So the question is, are we seeing real collaboration between governments, investors and policymakers? Yes, there are a number of people involved in these discussions. Um, the, this does allow for 
all stakeholders to add to the coverage and, and allows the discussions to be quite broad. However, I did feel that from an investment perspective, there was a lack of uh, representation from the senior investment team. So people like fund managers who actually pull the trigger and decide to make the investments. But I will say there is definitely collaboration that, that is happening. What we have seen is the, that governments do want to be more involved because what started to transpire is there is a sense of political risk attached with climate risk. And we can see that with uh, what happened in Egypt. You had a spike in food prices and that was a contributing factor to the instability that we saw in that government's so what you could end up having is political parties being threatened if they don't do something about climate. Unfortunately, those changes aren't instantaneous. They take years to play out. So you do need to be a bit forward thinking when it comes to, to issues such as climate. But you also need to be aware that you can't just have discussions with everyone at the table. Unfortunately, it does allow for certain avenues to be taken advantage of. And one example I'll give is in a sovereign bond um, perspective, it's a major uh, asset class in the investment world. What you don't want is asset managers discussing sovereign bonds with political entities and trying to change the terms of things or trying to impose their personal restrictions because that's not the job of an asset manager. That's the job of the electorate. And if you start to find that a political party has made some promises and now they're being pushed into changing their mind or changing those promises, you can create more conflict and then that anti-ESG rhetoric can and show its head again. Boipilo, I want to pivot, if I can now, and look at sustainability reporting. It's an important element in the sustainable finance industry. So two new disclosures have been introduced, effective, if I understand, from January next year. What are those disclosures? And in your opinion, then, how will they affect the investment community? Yes, so so this is one of the big developments in the world of ESG and sustainability that has taken place this year, where the International Sustainability Standard Board, ISSB, issued its inaugural standards, which are IFRS S1 and IFRS S2 in late July this year. This is welcomed by the investor community because it goes a long way to helping backlash on the lack of standardization of ESG data and information. So these are sustainability-related disclosures in, in capital markets worldwide, and they're there to create or, or help create a common language that enables companies to communicate to investors about sustainability-related and climate-related information. This information will be disclosed alongside the normal or standard financial statements, so in, in sort of the same reporting package. And these standards are set to be effective from January 2024, as you mentioned. However, the implementation will depend on coal legislation country. Kyle, with the reporting burden then for companies going up, is there a chance this could lead to more delisting? So the short answer for that is yes. Definitely. Um, just to provide some context, the current environment we find ourselves in, and, and especially over the past few years, we've seen some major delistings of public companies. And we've also seen that private companies are taking a lot longer to list. So that universe is shrinking, definitely. And 
what we've seen even in our own business is that reporting burden has increased. And that means there is a need to hire people and to hire specialists. If you look at what Boy Pillow was saying, not many people can understand that regulatory framework and how to position the answers so you don't get accused for greenwashing. So it is quite significant. It's a very specialized field. And uh, I think that has caused a lot of issues. In fact, it was a big theme at the conference talking about the complexity of reporting. But as things build up, I do think there's going to be a consolidation. Unfortunately, it isn't a generalist reporting method either. You can't report on everything, how all the reporting affects every single company. It does tend to become very nuanced and very specific depending on where the companies operate. So a very simple example, if you look at the classic case of ESNG in South Africa in the coal industry, E scores poorly, but our social, in the social context, it scores very highly. It creates jobs and we need it to, in order to keep the power on. So you take that same argument to Europe and it will completely fall on its face and they'll look at you and ask the question, why are you even investing in coal? So I do think it's nuanced. Unfortunately, that means it will continue to be complex, but there is a uh, effort to consolidate where they can. Chris, I'm assuming that one of the key questions or one of the obvious questions at the meeting was what action then can investors take on key ESG issues? It's an important question. Um, What are your thoughts? I think the primary thing that investors can do is be informed. There's now a wealth of information being generated the whole time on this theme. Companies are reporting a lot more as an example. I mean, it's now available in, in annual reports. And I I think one has to be properly informed to be able to take advantage of some of the opportunities that are going to come from this. Any massive transition of this sort of scale will present opportunities. And the base ingredient, I think, SA, is to be informed. And Kyle, finally, with the sustainable investing agenda advancing in the finance industry, um, let's end with what opportunities exist for investors. So this is actually a very exciting time. There there are a number of ways to invest in the sustainable theme. And that could be things like looking at startups that's in the private equity space that are investing or inventing new carbon capture technologies or better ways of doing things. Electric vehicles that are gaining market share or simply investing in companies that benefit from the increasing regulation. So the optionality is quite broad to benefit from this theme. However, what I think is one of the biggest themes that's going to play out over the next number of years is we're currently seeing billions of dollars being dedicated into energy generation and transmission in a more sustainable way. So infrastructure that takes years to build, but also provides a steady revenue stream once built and has really high barriers of entry. That looks really, really compelling as an investor, as a place to be. And uh, that's not even looking at the secondary beneficiaries in uh, in that case. That's the voice of Kyle Lazaro, along with Boipilo Rabotata and Chris Holdsworth. Uh, thanks to the three of you for joining me on this edition of No Ordinary Wednesday. We'll be back again soon with a special edition of No Ordinary Wednesday focused on what you can expect from the highly anticipated mini-budget. Will the National Treasury's radical cost-cutting measures actually make the cut? To ensure that you don't miss it, search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and hit that subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. 
The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.